Well, I want you guys to participate with me this morning before we actually jump into the sermon. And you can, it's okay to get loud in church and it's okay to respond just like you would at a ball game if it was your favorite team and they just scored a touchdown or something. But you guys have heard this before. I'm going to say something, I'm going to say a phrase, you're going to say a phrase back to me, I'm going to say a phrase back to you, and you're going to respond. And here's how it's going to work. I'm going to say, God is good. You're going to say, all the time. I'm going to say, all the time. And you're going to say, God is good. And I want you to say it like you really mean it. Like you really believe it. Like it's a reality. And I know for some of you, and we're going to walk into this, I know for some of you and for some of us today, it doesn't necessarily feel that way. But if there's anything I want you to remember when you leave this place today, that the reality of who God is, is that he's a good God. That the reality of who God is, is that he wants what's best for you. That the reality of who he is and what his character is, is that he has plans to prosper you and plans to bless you. And so we're going to start out this way this morning. I'm going to say God is good. You're going to say all the time. I'm going to say and all the time. And you're going to say God is good. Are you ready? Let's try it. God is good. And all the time, awesome. I hope you guys believe that, and I hope you meant it. Wow, that was the best you guys have ever done. It's amazing. God is good. I didn't mean it that way, but don't say that the rest of the sermon when I say God is good, okay? We're done. But we are in the middle of this series, and we're asking these why questions. And for the last two weeks, we asked a couple questions. The first one was, You know, why is it sometimes I don't feel God's presence? Last week we talked about the fact is why does it seem like God sometimes doesn't answer prayer? Why is it that when I read scripture and I look at all the stories of scripture and I look at uh, Daniel in the lion's den and I look at David and I look at Joshua praying and the sun stood still and, and sometimes even when I look at other people around me, it seems like God just shows up. Right? And their prayers work. Why does it seem like God doesn't answer prayers? And we talked about that and tried to put it into a biblical framework. Next week, we're going to end the series. We're going to ask this question is, why would God want to use a person like me? Um, And here's the thing. Although maybe you haven't verbalized that and maybe you haven't said that, we all struggle with that, don't we? I don't know of any of us that feel adequate most of the time. Most of the time we feel like, why would God or does God really want to use me to do something in this world? Does he really want to use me to change the world? After all the mistakes I've made, after all the things I struggle with, after everything that's in my past, does God really want to use me? And we're going to look at that. Today we're going to ask this question, is why does bad things happen to good people? Or why does it seem like sometimes God's just not fair? How does this work? How does it make sense? Why do good things happen to good people? Why doesn't God seem fair? And here's the reality of this question. Is that all of us have asked this question. And it's been asked for years and years and years and years. You go all the way back to the the Bible times. You go back to the first couple chapters in Genesis. And Abraham is asking this question, and it's in that setting when God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, wait a minute. He says, he says, don't you think the judge of the world ought to judge fairly? In other words, God, because you're God and because you're judge, don't you think you ought to do this fairly? I mean, give people what they deserve, but don't destroy innocent people. 
And we know the prayer, and we kind of know this process where Abraham says something like, you know, I mean, if there's 50 righteous people, won't you spare them? And God says, yeah, there's 50 righteous people. And Abraham thinks a little bit, and he says, well, okay, maybe there's not 50 people. And he keeps lowering the number, and he finally gets all the way down to 10. But he says, wait a minute, God, don't you think you ought to be fair? Because if you just destroy the whole city, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like a God like you ought to do that. Jeremiah asks this question. He says, why are wicked people prospering? In other words, why is there unrighteous people that are getting rich and there's God-fearing people over here and they're not? They're not prospering. How does that work? And why is it that way? David in Psalms over and over and over again. You can't even read Psalms without running into this. He asks these questions over and over again. God, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? God, why do you seem like you're so far away? God, where are you at? Why don't you show yourself to me? Why don't you deliver me? God, why don't you seem fair? And if anyone could have asked that question, it was David. He was anointed king. Right? He knew God had a purpose for his life. And the result of him being anointed king, he was fleeing for his life. And it was this huge desert experience for David before what God had promised him and that promise coming true came true. And during that time, David asked all kinds of questions and struggled with it. And we struggle with those questions. You know, some of us ask questions like this if we're aware of it. And we... Especially if we allow it to sink in. is God, why do so many children starve? Thousands of children will starve today across the world. Thousands of people will die today simply from lack of proper nourishment, clean water, and preventable diseases. Why is it that way, God? How could you allow that to happen, if you're actually a good God, if you're actually in control, how does it work? God, why are there natural disasters, right? Where sometimes hundreds of people are killed. I was just talking to David and Nan this morning, and they just got back from Colorado, where that huge fire has been going on. And hundreds of, of homes have been burned to the ground. And you look at that, and if we're in that especially, or someone that we love closely, or someone that we're close to especially, we look at that and we say, God, why? It's just senseless. Why would you allow this to happen? Allow this to happen? And here's the thing. I believe those are actually fair questions. I think they're actually questions that God's okay with us asking inside of a proper framework and inside of a proper context. But here's the reality for most of us. And here's my reality as a pastor. Is I don't have, I never have someone come to me and say, can we sit down and talk? Can we meet for lunch? Or can we go for pre- breakfast? And they ask questions like, why is the children in Africa starving? We don't ask But here's what the questions we ask. Is we ask personal questions. And these are the ones that penetrate even deeper. And the questions that we ask when we go here with this question is, God, why is this happening to me? God, why did that 
happen to me? Why is this thing going on in my life? Or why is that happening to someone that I love? You know, I had to reflect back on my life and... Um, In many ways, my life has been a little bit boring. I mean, there's not been huge, there's not been deaths, and there's not been severe illnesses, although my mom went through a period of time when I was a young teenager. But I, had to th- I was trying to think back, as when is the first time, when's the earliest recollection, or when was a real time in my life when I asked kind of this question? And here's what I thought of, and some of you are going to maybe laugh at this and think it's kind of crazy, but that's Okay. As I grew up in a very small setting in southern Minnesota, a small community, small church, and the people that we associated with and had community with was a pretty small group, and all the way from the age of about six till 17, there was literally no other kids in that circle of friends that were close to us that was my age. I had no relatives that were my age. I had no kids in the church, no kids in the school that I went to that were anywhere closer than four or five years of my age. You were either younger or older. My closest brother was six years older than me, so when he was 16 and was beginning to do things, I was 10, was a huge difference. And I remember even as a very young kid at seven or eight years old, I would go to Sunday school on Sunday morning and I would either, well at that time, I would go with kids that were three and four years old or younger. And so I was always in a group of friends that were either way older than me or way younger than me. And I remember feeling as a kid thinking, why is it this way? And being a little bit bitter about it, and I don't think it's like bruised me for life or anything like that, but I just remember living in that and thinking, this is just not fair. And then I would go to, we would travel to another state, and we would go into another community, and there would be like five or six or ten kids all the same age, and I'd be like, man. You know, and I remind my kids of this sometimes when they want to start complaining. I say, you know what, you have no idea how nice you have it. And I would remind you youth and you intermediate school kids, you have no idea what you have with youth and what you have with the chaos program. And then as I got older, it was still that way. When I was 16, there was literally no kids my age. The ones that were closest to me were in their early 20s. My brothers had all moved out of the house and the kids that were younger than me were like 12 and 13 years old or whatever it was. And I was just kind of in this gap where I had no one my age to associate with. Now here's the reality, is for some of you who are thinking, oh, poor Pastor Eric grew up and didn't have anybody his age. And you're right, because for some of you, for some of you, you think back and you think, that wasn't my pain, and that wasn't why I asked that question. The reason I asked that question is because I was abused as a child. Or the reason that I asked that question is because I had a sister or a brother who died at a young age and it didn't make sense and it still doesn't. And the list can go on and on. And your pain and the reason you asked that question was much, much deeper and is much, much deeper, which is I have pain that is deeper than that as well. And you're asking the question, God, why did you let me get abused? And God, where were you when I was a little girl or I was a little boy and that adult took advantage of me? 
Some of you may be asking the painful question, or maybe in the middle of a question, God, is where are you at in my marriage? Where were you at in my marriage? All I wanted was a great marriage. All I wanted was a beautiful family. And it just seemed like you didn't show up, and it just doesn't seem fair to me. Why did my sister, why did she get cancer? Why did he get cancer? Someone that was close to you. Why did he or she get the brain tumor? Why can't they conceive a child? Why is my child the one that's born with special needs? Why did I get laid off from the job that I was good at and I worked hard at? And now I've got a mounting mountain of bills. It could be simple things. You know, it could be whatever, I don't know. It could be, you know, got to just, we work hard, we try to get ahead, and it seems like every time we get ahead, the car breaks, or the lawnmower breaks, or there's a medical bill, and it, you know, God, why? Why is it the way it is? And see, here's the reality. And this is a reality for some of us is I would think that most of us, and I would say that almost all of us, really do want to believe that God is good. We all really do want to believe it, and some of you do. But for some of us, and for so many people, it's almost like we're forced into a corner. And because of the reality of life, and because of the hard things that have happened in life, we're kind of like, we feel like we're forced into a corner, and we're saying, well... I'm not sure I can actually say God is good because it just doesn't line up with reality. And I can't really say that God is trustworthy because it just doesn't seem to line up with reality. And so either I have to say I trust God and God is good and it doesn't line up with reality or I'm kind of backed into a corner where I say, well, either two, one of two things is true. Either God doesn't exist or God doesn't exist in the way that I thought he always did. And we struggle with that. And it's real. And here's the thing today. Again, I wish that, that I could come up here or someone could come up here and just give us a four-point message and we would walk away and we'd say, okay, it makes sense. I understand perfectly how it works and now I know why bad things happen to good people and why we sometimes go through hard things. But it's never going to be that way. And without going on this big, long rabbit trail, I just want you to know this. I, I was researching this and kind of studying this, and I read all kinds of stuff. And here's the thing. There's a reason. There's a reason that God doesn't let us know everything. There's a reason. It's because he's God, and he knows more than you, and he's smarter than you, and because he has a great big picture view, and he knows the end result. There's a reason that we don't have his knowledge. And there's a reason that we can't see the end. Because it would change everything. And it wouldn't change everything for the better. It would actually make it worse. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you some possible biblical reasons that bad things happen to good people or bad things may happen to you. But ultimately what I want to do and what I want us to leave this place 
aware of is I, I want us to be pointed toward the one who has the answers. I want our hearts to be drawn to a God who truly is good. More than I want us to have the answers because we're not going to find the exact exact answers. Why Why do bad things happen? And here's what we encounter in the church world. And I just want to address this before we get into this. Just to lay, put, it, put ourselves at ease and to put this kind of stuff in the, back, in the background. Um, and some of us maybe grew up with this more than others did. I don't know. But sometimes in the church world, we hear this or we have this kind of attitude. Or we kind of present this out front and say, Well, the reason that bad things are happening to you or the reason that something bad is happening to them is because obviously there's sin in their life. And because of this sin in their life, there's this unrelated consequence over here. He's doing this over here, but there's, this has fallen apart and he's got sin in his life, so now his wife has cancer. And I want to just, let's just throw all of that out of the door. Throw all of that out of the door. It's just a whole bunch of bunk and a whole bunch of trash. There is something called results of sin, but it's direct consequences of the sin. God does not, I believe, and will not punish you in some unrelated area. Now, there's a balance in all that, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. And it's not because you're not praying enough, or you're not praying right, or you're not praying long, or you're not reading your Bible 20 minutes and you're doing it five. It's not that. It's not the way God operates. Why are there bad things that happen to good people? And here's the first one. We have to start here. This is just kind of the baseline of where we have to start is maybe it's this. Maybe you and I, maybe you're simply a victim of a broken world. Maybe it's just the reality that we live in a sin-filled, broken world that is imperfect. And people hurt people, and there are diseases, and there are things that happen, and there is the weather, and there is things that are completely out of our control. Maybe you're simply a victim of a broken world. If you read in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see that God created the world, and everything that was in it was good. And then man came along and messed it all up. And he got outside of God's plan. And everything changed. And it changed for the rest of, of the rest of history for earth. And ladies, childbirth before sin was fun. Can you imagine that? After sin, it was painful. And guys, after sin, the ground was cursed. Do you ever wonder why work is so hard and why you have to work so hard and why there's always obstacles in the context of Genesis? It was the ground that grew thorns. Well, it carries over to the work that we do today. It's because it's been cursed because of sin. And it's just the way it is. The result of that mistake goes all through our lives. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, there's a couple things that he didn't say. He didn't say, in this world, you'll never get a headache. He didn't say, in this world, you'll never encounter problems. He didn't say, in this world, you'll never get a zit the size of a quarter on your nose before your prom date. And all of these things that we think are horrible and end our lives, it's not what Jesus said. But what he did say is this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. 
I mean, we read that verse and we just skip right over it. And I want you to just stop for a minute and hear what he's saying. This is a promise from your Savior, from Jesus himself. He says, listen, I just want you to know something from me. My words is if you live in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have pain. You're going to have disappointment. You're going to have things that happen to you and the people that are close to you that just don't make sense. It says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We just need to acknowledge. And we just need to be okay with the fact, at some level, the bad things sometimes are, ex- are just simply a result of living in a pain-filled, a pain-filled, broken world. It's just the reality. Sometimes we're a victim of someone else's sin, like an abuse victim or something like that, or an accident of a reckless driver or something like that. We're just a victim of a drunk driver or something. We're a victim of somebody else's sin, of somebody else's mistake. That's where we need to start. We live in a sin-stained, broken world. And the second thing, and this one doesn't make you feel better necessarily, and it's not designed to make you feel better. But the second reason maybe bad things happen to good people or to people is maybe we bring it on ourselves. Maybe we brought it on ourselves. And you can say, well, wait a second. You just said a second ago or a minute ago that it wasn't because of sin in my life. And what I, that's not exactly what I said. What I said was, is it's not because you did something over here and there's an unrelated consequence over here. But what I am saying is this, is there is a direct consequence for our sin, sinful behaviors. There are consequences for sins. It's as simple as this, as if I would go out and get drunk tonight, I would climb back in my vehicle and I would drive down the road and I would wreck into someone else and kill someone or whatever it might be. There would be consequences for that sin in my life. Direct consequences. Listen, guys, if you cheat on your wife or you abuse your wife or you don't love and respect and lead your wife the way that you should, I can, the way that you should, I can promise you there will be direct consequences for that action or lack of action. Maybe you just led yourself into it. Maybe you dumped it on yourself. Galatians 6, 7 and 8 say it like this. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And this is what happens to a man who lives in sin. It says, a man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature, he reaps destruction. God, why am I hurting financially? God, where are you at in my finances? And for some of us, here's why. is because we drive a $40,000 truck and live in a quarter million dollar house and we make $28,000 a year. Whose fault is it? That's good, wasn't it? That's Dave Ramsey material. 
You understand what I'm saying? There's a consequence for how you do things. And then we do things and we make mistakes and we bring consequences on us. And then we're like, God, I'm a Christian. This shouldn't be happening to me. And God is saying, you know what? You need to read your Bible. You need to hear what Jesus said. You will have trouble. And you will have consequences for your mistakes and your sin. It's not God, it's not God being judgmental. It's not God being harsh. It's just the way it is. It's, it's just the way it is. A man reaps what he sows. Victim of a broken world. Maybe you simply brought it on yourself. And then there's a brand new category. This one's much more uplifting. Maybe harder to understand, but it's much more uplifting is maybe God wants to do something big. Maybe you're going through something or your friend or a relative or someone you love dearly or someone close to you is going through something right now that is horrible and it's hard and the only reason it's happening This is so hard to understand, and it still sometimes doesn't seem fair. But the only reason it's happening is because God is up to something big and wants to do something big. John chapter 9 tells a story of a guy that was born blind. This kid was, this baby was born and he was blind. And I want you to put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. You're born blind, you did nothing, there wasn't even an accident, you were just simply born blind, and you would wonder as a child growing up, why is it that I can't see and my brother sees, why is it that my brothers and sisters see, why is it that my parents can see, why is it that all my friends can see, and I can't see? It just doesn't seem fair. And in this story, the people around this boy begin to ask questions of Jesus, and they begin to try to figure out whose fault is it that he can't see? Was it his sin? Was it his mom and dad's sin? What is the cause of all this? Why was this child born blind? And Jesus comes in and he says something so profound and so powerful. He says, no, wait a minute. Here's a brand new category. Here's a brand new reason that this has happened. And here's what he says. John 9 verse 3 says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, there's no one at fault. But this happened so that the work of God might, de- might be displayed in his life. Isn't that awesome? God, Jesus saying, listen, there's no reason. There's no earthly reason. There's no, no one made a mistake. There's no punishment. But the reason he was born blind is so that the work of God, so that the hand of God could be, could be shown to be powerful and God could be glorified. Jesus saying, as soon as I heal him, he's going to have a story the rest of his life that will change lives. He's going to have a testimony and go out and do great things because of what I've done for him. Because of where he was weak, I showed myself strong. It's not any different than the Old Testament story of Joseph. And again, I think so many times we read these stories and we don't think about the fact that they actually really happened to real people. And you guys know the story. Joseph, his brothers hated him, were betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, into Egypt, right? Falsely accused, put into prison. It was like it never ended. You know, it just, 
was like every time he came around a corner, we did a bike ride yesterday, and literally every time we come around a corner, there was another hill. And by the end of the ride, I was like, are you kidding me? You know, it never ended. And I had to think of that in the context of Joseph. It's like Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, thrown in a pit. Sold. It's like, how can it keep getting worse? Sold into slavery, accused of something, innocently, thrown into prison. Years went by. And then we read the story, and here's why it doesn't pain you guys. Here's why we're not like, man, that is horrible, is because we know the end result. Because in this context, we understand. God was up to something big, eventually became second in command in Egypt, and saved the entire nation of Israel, saved his whole family because of a famine. God was up to something big. And then I think in the context of my own life, and I know this is a no comparison, but I think in the context of my own life, and I grew up where I grew up, and I had no other kids my age, and although that was minimal pain, it was still painful. You know, I lived there, had no one, moved out at a very young age. Long story short, if it wouldn't have been for where I grew up in the context of where I grew up, and the lack of the kids that I had around me, and the lack of the friends that I had around me, this church would not exist today. We would not be here this morning. Because without going into all the details, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have moved to South Carolina. I wouldn't have had my three incredible kids. And I probably wouldn't know half of you or three quarters of you here. And I'm just telling you, God is up to something. And I don't care what's happening in your life. I don't care if it's big pain or little pain, a big thing you don't understand or a little thing to understand. Could you just have faith and understand? You know what? Maybe the only reason, maybe the only reason that this is happening is because in 20 or 30 years or whatever it might be or in eternity, I'm going to look back and I'm going to say, man, if it wouldn't have been for that, none of this would have ever happened. Might be the only reason. And I know for some of you, you can trace things that are in your life right now, bad things. I mean, good things in your life right now that are results of incredibly painful things. And you can say, man, I can trace it all back to something that I didn't want. I can trace it all back to something that I didn't understand. Maybe there is a new category. And I don't want to belittle or, or minimize anybody's pain today. I don't know what it could be for you, but I know that there's pain in this room. And I just want to know, I just want you to know, God might be up to something. Maybe there's a great big picture that you can't see. Maybe God wants to do something big. Maybe God wants to do something powerful. Maybe the reason that it's happening is that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. And here's what's so hard about this for some of us, is right now, today, for some of you, the reality is, is the sun is set or is setting. And it's just dark. Maybe God's up to something. Maybe the sun is going to rise tomorrow. Maybe next week, the sun's going to rise. Maybe next month, the sun is going to rise 
And God is in the middle of doing something big. See, he's a good God. He's a good God. And I know that for some of you, it is really sunset. Or the sun has actually just gone down and it just seems dark and it seems desperate and it seems hopeless. Would you just believe? Would you just have the faith? Would you just grab onto that fact, that category that says, man, I don't understand. I don't know why it's going on. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe God's up to something big. I'm going to hang on to it until the sun rises. Why are we going through bad things? Maybe it's because we simply live in a broken or a sin-stained world. Maybe for some of us we brought it on ourselves. Maybe God really does want to do something big. But here's a for sure. Here's a for sure. Is that in the middle of all of it, God is doing something in you for sure. That in the middle of it, God really is doing something in you if you allow him to. That in the middle of that bad thing, that in the middle of that tragedy, that in the middle of that thing that you don't understand, God is shaping, God is changing, God is growing, or he's trying to. That's a for sure. We can take that to a bank. There's this annoying little verse in James 1. Some of you know exactly what it is already. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 is this little verse, and even though it's annoying, even though it's hard to understand, doesn't make it any less true, it's true. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. So here's the thing. If you're here today and you're facing trials, you know what this verse says? Consider it joy. Consider it joy. It doesn't say be happy about it. There's a big difference between happiness and joy. They're not the same. But it says, consider it joy when you face trials. And here's why. Because you know that the testing of your faith, in other words, your faith is going to be tested. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. It's doing something inside of you. It's changing you. It's like your clay on a potter's wheel. And God's hands, God's hands are all over you, even though you can't tell it, even though it's just like this lump of clay that's just been gnarled and all messed up. And God's hands are there, and he's saying, if you'll just hang in there, if you'll allow me to do my work, I'm up to something. I'm changing you. I'm shaping you. Don't fight it. Allow it. The reality is for all of us here, whether we're a Christ follower, we've been a Christian for five years, or whatever it is, we can just, all of us probably can look back in our past, and all of us will say this. I believe this without exception. Is we can look back to a time and a place or a circumstance in our life And we would say this, I would never choose that. I would never want to go through it again. But it did make me different. I did grow. And I really wouldn't trade it. You know, I'm not asking to do it again. You know, it wasn't, you know, 
But I wouldn't trade it. Because I am today who I am because of what I went through. Some of us would say it drew me closer to God. Some of you would say it was at the lowest point of my life when it was at the worst of the worst that I cried out to God and it became more real to me than it ever had before. And you would say, yep, you're right. God did use that. And I'm telling you that in some kind of weird and almost kind of a strange way, and I know this is true because I see it in people, that the more pain that we endure sometimes in life, if we allow it to shape us and push us the right way. See, there's always a choice. Pain and those things can always move us either one of two directions. Can move us closer to God or can move us further away from God. It's your choice. But when we allow it to move us closer to God, the people that have went through the most pain are sometimes the people that are the closest to their Heavenly Father. And they have this overwhelming sense of peace. They have this kind of overwhelming ability to trust God because they've allowed it to shape them. Here's what we have to understand. We have to learn to look through life sometimes with different glasses. And I'd be willing to bet that there's some of you here today that need to change your glasses. And you guys know as well as I do that if you just take one snapshot of life, like maybe the present right here and now, and you just look at it kind of with tunnel vision, it doesn't make sense. And you're like, you know what? This does not line up with what I believe about God. It actually doesn't line up with the, with the God that I fell in love with. It doesn't line up with the Savior I gave my heart to. But here's what I know is true, and I know that so many of you know is true, is that when you do life with your Heavenly Father, and you do years with Him, and you stay in the Word, and you stay involved with other Christians who love you, not perfect ones, just other Christians that love you, But when you walk with God and you choose to follow him through life, you will look back one day or you may be there now and you can look back and you will say, God is good. He's good all the time. And there has been pain and man, there's been things that have been hard. But when I look back, God is good. Because I've walked with him. I've stayed faithful. I've read his word. I've trusted him. And he is good. He's good, and he's worthy of my trust, and he's worthy of my time, and he's worthy of my, wor- of my worship. Here's where I want to land today real quick. Is this whole question is in some ways a very flawed question. It's a flawed question. Because there's no good people. None of us are good. And you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, I think I'm good, and I'm telling you, you're not good. I'm not good, you're not good, none of us are good. There's only ever been one time in history when something bad has happened to a good person and his name was Jesus Christ. That's it. We're all sinners. We're all sinners and if you're born again, you're not getting what you deserve. You're covered by grace. All of us deserve death. 
So don't ever think that you're good. Don't ever think you deserve. Man, it's such a problem for us. We think we deserve. Why does this happen to me? I don't deserve this. You don't deserve half of what you have. You don't deserve anything you have because none of us are good. Look at what it says in Scripture. Psalms 103, it says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Isn't, aren't you glad for that? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, none of us are good. Jesus is the only person that was a good person and had something bad happen to him. It's actually a flawed question. I want to pray with you guys today. Let's pray.